0: a code red for humanity curb emissions and dramatically reduce consumption or face a world that is fundamentally different
1: when kermit the front sang it's not easy being green i want you to know that he was wrong he was wrong there is no planet b there is no planet blah 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 blah. It is unequivocal that human activities are responsible for climate change.
0: If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero Carbon East Tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 3: The Sky's the Limit. I'm Ian Collins. This is one of the few podcasts that takes the environmental agenda absolutely seriously and isn't afraid to tell it like it is when it comes to green-based issues. The agenda gets bigger on a weekly basis every Friday. We're here to look at those stories. The man with the baton is the green entrepreneur, Dale Vince. Morning to you, Dale. Yeah, morning, Ian. How's things? It's good, yes. I like the idea that you actually have a baton, by the way. That you carry around with you at all times. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, not the kind that the police carry, obviously. Indeed,
0: yeah, yeah just Kind of bastardising the Gordon Gecko uh, phrase with
1: "green is good" wherever you go. Yeah, that w- that would be me. Uh, although <laughs> right now I've got the heating on. I got rained on on my bike this morning, and I'm, uh, not uh, good. I'm not cold, good. cold, what and a, wet.
0: What a start to
1: the morning. Let's well, let's cheer you up here because someone's suing Boris Johnson. So that's a good story to start with. Uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, I want to say that's probably not unusual, but three young people and they're claiming that uh, Boris Johnson is basically failing younger generations and the global south with his approach to the climate crisis. Well, I mean, who could argue with that? Obviously, government lawyers have argued with that. And actually, one of them, a Mr. Honey QC, has said that... um, the idea that climate change is going to harm people is just some kind of generalised kind of uh, concept that may or may not happen in the future. It's like, wow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> a man with a name like Honey might know better, really. You'd think he'd be slightly more in touch with what's going on in the world of nature.
1: Or a QC even, do you know what I mean? But, you know, and I thought climate denial was was dead, actually. I thought we were into climate delay now as as the new phase. But, you know, here's a man that's saying, yeah, the idea that climate change is going to hurt people is just a generalised, vague concept. So, wow.
0: (laughs) Yeah, It's kind of funny that, isn't it? Because, I mean, he would have sat at home and, you know, wrote his notes and presumably done his research at some level. Just kind of wonder... How did he
1: make that conclusion I, I guess his job is not to speak truth necessarily based on fact and science, but to persuade the judge it's precisely that isn't it yeah, yeah. it's yeah. The, uh,
0: the the crafty way that a lawyer can spin a story i guess yeah here's uh we'll, we'll watch with intro we'll keep our eye on that one because um, that, that might not go away very fast it's, it's certainly not as fast as the government would like it to. Here's a question from Chris. I thought this is interesting and it's topical after what's happened this week. Chris says, I've been reading and learning from your energy crisis posts on LinkedIn over the last few weeks. Hand on heart, would ecotricity go under state control, going under state control be acceptable to you after all you've done to build it?
1: Yeah, and I've been saying that for years. I've been saying that actually the only sensible thing to do is to have the energy system in public ownership once more. I mean, that's how it got built. Post the, post the war, uh, it, we wouldn't have a proper national grid if it hadn't have been publicly funded, it wouldn't have reached everywhere. And, and when you look at the experience of privatization, it's a 25 year old experiment now, it's a fucking disaster. And it's because companies have a very short term outlook and when you're building an energy system and adapting to the climate crisis as well, you need a much different outlook completely. You need the kind of outlook that, you know, a government can have, a country can yeah. take. You know, we need an energy system owned by the people that works for the people of this country. And, and energy is so vital to our homes and our industries, you know, it just doesn't belong in private hands.
0: So hang on, a lot of people listening to this will go, you're talking yourself out of your own business
1: here. Yeah, I'll go and do something else. It's Okay.
0: <laughs> so you you built it up uh made a huge success of this and I think not just you know people can talk about the finances that's one thing but the the impact of the way you've constructed ecotricity uh what you stand for what you do and you can move that into where you've gone with uh the way that uh, forest green rovers for example the business model around that so the impact has been huge uh, in in doing things differently But you would happily leave that alone and and hand it over almost to to state control because you feel
1: philosophically that's really where energy should be managed. Well, I think it's the right outcome for our country to have a – publicly owned energy system and also you know i dropped back in in the early 90s to start this green energy thing we were the first company in the world to do that and the idea was to change how energy was made and fight the climate crisis that way and look that's happening that's Mm. a that's a mainstream concept now so you know arguably you could say job done um i don't need to carry on doing this and and in any way um you know what's more important actually is to solve this We, I mean, this is an energy crisis right now, this winter, the biggest we've ever had. But every two or three years, we have one. And we have the same fundamental underlying causes of that, our attachment to global fossil fuel markets, not just for the supply of fossil fuel, but for the price of fossil fuel. Because 50% of our gas today comes from our North Sea, but it's priced by the global market. It went up fivefold in price this year when the cost of extraction didn't. You know, we're completely, utterly dependent on this global market. This pinnacle of free market, this uber-capitalist model, you know, is is destroying our economy and and making people's lives miserable. You know, people that can't afford to heat their homes and stuff like that. You know, I mean, we, we just shouldn't have to endure it.
0: No, you're right. But, you know, there will always be that argument that will come back and say, yeah, you know, the 1970s were proof that, you know, the state shouldn't be running a whelk stall, let alone the country's energy infrastructure. They get things horribly wrong. If you remove incentives in some way, then things get sloppy. People have got nothing to aspire to. It doesn't mean that energy won't be expensive. It doesn't also doesn't mean it won't be uh, a disaster because just because the state own it doesn't mean to say it's going to be good.
1: I would say just because the state own it doesn't mean it's going to be bad. Take a look at the record of privatization. What are the trains like? What's the energy market like? What's the what's the water industry like? You know, name an example of successful privatization. Uh, you know, everything the state does isn't necessarily bad. Um, and the state has different motivations to private enterprise, better motivations than private enterprise. And, you know, I think it's an old narrative, a tired old narrative, that private is better than public. And, and it's fundamentally disproven by the experience of the last quarter of a century.
0: Let's move on to another one here. Uh, new poll of Brits says we're more concerned about climate than COVID or Brexit. I mean, I think we should probably be concerned about all of those things, but uh, <laughs> encouraging in some respects that climate is top of the list.
1: Yeah, it looked like a post COP bump actually uh, in the data, you know, because before uh, COP, it was the other way around. Those things came first. And I think COP just kind of gave prominence to the issue. And uh, let's hope it endures, but I've got a feeling it won't. I think it'll tail off again. But what was really interesting was it is part of a general background increase. The score for that concern continues to increase. It's equal across genders and age groups. And so it's a very good sign, you know, that it's rising up the agenda of everybody.
0: Yeah. And in that respect, I mean, I I think it would be fair to say it's not going away, right?
1: (laughs) According to some people, some learned friends, it's uh, it's a vague and generalised concept. Well, wow, that's honey for you, isn't it? I mean, it's <laughs> just, you know, we will
0: uh, invoke the, the the image of honey wherever we feel necessary to do so. Uh, this from Rowan on Twitter. I got my first Ocado order this week to try the Devil's Kitchen stuff. Both were substituted for other random products I didn't even ask for. When will mm. they be more widely available? Any chance of getting them in local independence? That's always a swine, that isn't it? When you order, you know, a cabbage and a bag of rice turns up as a replacement. <laughs> I well, don't I know. I like happened. rice, but well, yeah, yeah, I quite like rice. Wanted cabbage,
1: <laughs> but look, I don't know what happened there because you know we're keeping Ocado topped up with with burgers. It must have been some local distribution. Center, You know, part of the network just didn't have them at the time. Uh, But it's a shame, actually, that they didn't come. Um, More generally, we're working on a plan to get into uh, a major uh, cold food chain uh, in the spring with sausages and burgers. Uh, uh, Sausage is a new thing for us. We're not making it yet. Yeah. Uh, but we have, uh, we piloted it and can make a fantastic sausage, which has gone down really well with the people that have, have, have tried it. And sure. uh, I can't name them, but it's a really big cold food chain. And, uh, you know, we should be in it by spring. We've got to expand our factory in order to do that because we're maxed out at the moment, which is great news in many ways. Although Then we bump into kind of all kinds of uh, practical issues, including planning, my favorite yeah. issue um you know <laughs> but we're on it actually and the devil's kitchen looks to have an amazing future we just can't keep up with demand at the moment
0: um, here's a story from down under this this is quite disturbing a joint report by the human rights bodies and environmental groups has found activists are increasingly facing repression by australian governments uh, the report comes as uh, abc publishes allegations. Vic Forests carried out a campaign of surveillance against anti-logging protesters. And the report by both the Human Rights Law Centre, Greenpeace, Australia Pacific, and the Environmental Defender's Office tracks how pressure from business interests, legal challenges, and policing tactics have converged to create an environment of repression for those protesting inaction on climate.
1: Yeah. So... What can you say? Australia, I mean, they're complete climate laggards, aren't they? I mean, their climate policies are beyond parody, in fact. You know, they're going to get to net zero without stopping fossil fuel use based on technology that doesn't even exist yet and, and never will exist, quite frankly. Um, and so, yeah, is it surprising that they're trying to repress uh, the, you know, the protesters? It isn't to me. But look, it's happening in our country too, you know, pre cop the um, insulate britain people were saying we're not being locked up and we don't understand it we're breaking injunctions we've been told we're going to be locked up and we think it's political that the government doesn't want climate protesters in jail just ahead of cop 26 guess what they were right there's a whole bunch of them in jail right now immediately after cop straight to court straight to jail that repression that happens here as well it's interesting.
0: I hadn't actually correlated that kind of timeline, but you're absolutely right. Because beforehand, there was just all sorts of breaches of this court order and mm-hmm. no sign of uh, of the
1: chiller. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's pre- pretty cynical from our government. But at the same time, you know, there's been a clamp down on the right to protest, you know, and, and, you know, police tactics against protests have been bad for years, you know, kettling and all kinds of stuff. Do you know what I mean? So it's not just happening in, in Australia, but uh, there it is. Here's an interesting one I want to go
0: back to the conversation we started with. Uh, how is it looking for ecotricity in the energy crisis? Are you still feeling confident you'll make it through the winter? Of course, another company went by the wayside this week, Dale. Where are you guys in this equation?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. There are like three going out of business this week. We always get advance warning of them, but can't talk about them. One of them has gone public. The other two are coming next. There's another seven on the shit list. They're in like uh, debt to the industry, which they won't get out of. Nobody ever gets off that list. So there's seven more coming. And by our calculations, um, this would be before Christmas – Come January, there may only be 10 suppliers left in the market. Now, that is less than at privatization in 1995, where there were 12. Yeah. Uh, and so that's a, that's a bit of an indictment of how this market has been run. Bulb has obviously just gone into administration, uh, into a special process, because with 1.7 million customers, it just had more than the whole system could absorb. So the government have become an energy company, which I absolutely love because they've been stood on the sidelines, stony faced towards the energy industry saying they will not move the price cap. They're forcing energy companies to sell power for less than they have to buy it for. They're forcing effectively a £1,000 per customer per year cost on the energy industry. And now, they're bearing it themselves. They've just set aside 1.7 billion pounds of public money to support bulb customers. And that was a cost that they would have imposed on bulb yeah. uh, had bulb not gone bust. And, uh, you know, for me, it's a marvellous thing because now the government are experiencing just what it's like to be in this crazy fucked up energy market. <laughs> uh, and maybe, <laughs> that, maybe that will help. I don't know. It might be, yeah.
0: It's, um, but you, you're, you're kind of safeguarded yeah. against this?
1: Well, we hedged, and uh, that's the big thing that a lot of companies didn't do. I have to say, though, interestingly, I don't believe that was Bulb's problem. I think they had hedged. And so the fact that the government are picking up the complete unhedged cost at a £1,000 per customer suggests to me that somebody at Bulb took those trades away, took the value of those trades away and pocketed them, left the government holding the baby. I think the government had been burned in the administration process, something that we're intending to look into.
0: And let's go to this question, Dale. Ollie on Twitter. Dale, what do you reckon Forest Green Rover's chances are this year for promotion?
1: I would say never better. They've never been better. I mean, look at us, top of the table, five points clear, game in hand. Yeah, We've yeah. Lost two games all season. But beyond that, I mean, more importantly, we play really good football. We're playing really consistently. Our new head coach has built this great team spirit. You can see it on the pitch. It's, it's quite incredible. Honestly, I think we will go up this year. I think we could win the league. We might even set a points record. That's where I'm at at the moment. Well,
0: I, I mean, I was just looking at you're five points ahead and a game in hand over Exeter. So, I mean, that that's you know, pretty encouraging place to be. Then again, so a Swindon a game in hand too. But, so,
1: yeah, but but five behind us, but, but still you know, five behind. Yeah. You know, I look at our team, I look at the way we play, the way we overcome the different challenges. I look at the strength in depth in the squad, you know, when we have to uh, swap it around a bit. And I just think that combined with the new head coach, the attitude that he's built within the squad I think this is going to be a fantastic season for us. I mean, it already is. We're a third yeah. of the way through and, sure. you know, we're we're flying. Somebody said the other day, Forest Green are flying. I was like, shit, they're not, are they? <laughs> 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 thought, no, that's not what he meant. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um,
0: there we go. Dale, have a cracking weekend uh, and we'll speak in a week's time.
1: Yeah, fabulous. Thanks, Ian. See you later.
0: Good work. That's Dale Vince and that's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. If you want to get in touch, you can email zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk and make sure you're following Dale Vince on social media. Important this, twitter.com slash Dale Vince, facebook.com slash Dale Vince, and you'll also find Dale on LinkedIn. We'll see you in a week's time.
1: Carbon East Off